0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of A Cozy Christmas Podcast. My name is Art. Welcome back, or welcome if you are new. We are celebrating Christmas in July this month. And, well, to be honest, next month we'll be celebrating Christmas in August. (laughs) But we're really kicking off the Christmas podcast season now, as we have less than six months until the big day. Well, today's episode... I'm just going to read you a story. It's called Mr. Chris Kringle, and it's by S. Weir Mitchell or Silas Mitchell. Silas Mitchell was born in February of 1829, and he died January 1914. He was, uh, according to Wikipedia, he was an American physician, a scientist, a novelist, and poet. Uh, he's also the one who pioneered the uh, so-called rest cure, which I am a big fan of. (laughs) He was uh, an American, helped out, uh, was a a doctor during the Civil War, became the director of treatment of nervous injuries and maladies at Turner's Lane Hospital in in Philadelphia. And at the close of the war, he became a specialist in neurology. He had thoughts about what we ate and how that affected our health. So that, uh, again, according to this article, he became known as Dr. Diet and Dr. Quiet. He was Charlotte Perkins Gilman's doctor. And uh, his use of a rest cure on her provided the idea for the yellow wallpaper. A short story in which the narrator is driven insane by this treatment. That pretty much tells you what she thought of that, I suppose. But today's story is called Mr. Chris Kringle. And it takes place on Christmas Eve. And You might think this would be a story, maybe it would be better to wait until the weather got colder, the season got closer and all that. But as you'll find out, especially towards the beginning, it goes from the typical sad and sentimental to uh, a part of the story that gets very kind of you're not sure what direction the story is going in, if it's going to be scary or frightening, uh, things like that. And that's all I'll say about the story for now. So if you are ready, I invite you to come and sit by the Christmas fire and I'll read to you Mr. Kris Kringle by S. Weir Mitchell, published in 1893. It was Christmas Eve. The snow had clad the rolling hills in white, as if in preparation for the sacred morrow. The winds, boisterous all day long, at fall of night ceased to roar amidst the naked forest, and now the silent industry of the falling flakes made of pine and spruce tall white tents. At last, as the darkness grew, a deepening stillness came on hill and valley and all nature seemed to wait expectant of the coming of the Christmas time. Above the broad river, a long grey stone house lay quiet, its vine and roof heavy with the softly falling snow, and showing no sign of light or life except in a feeble red glow through the Venetian blinds of the many windows of one large room. Within, a huge fire of mighty logs lit up with distinctness only the middle space and fell with variable illumination on a silent group about the hearth. On one side, a mother sat with her cheek upon her hand, her elbow on the table, gazing steadily into the fire. On the other side were two children, a girl and a boy, he on a cushion, she in a low chair. Some half-felt sadness repressed for these little ones the usual gay christmas humor of the hopeful hour commonly so full for them of that anticipative joy to which life brings shadowy sadness as the years run on now and then the boy looked across the room pleased when the leaping flames sent flaring over floor and wall long shadows from the tall brass andirons or claw-footed chair and table sometimes he glanced shyly at the mother but getting no answering smile kept silence. Once or twice, the girl whispered a word to him as the logs fell and a sheet of flame from the hickory and the quick burning birch set free the stored up sunshine of many a summer day. A moment later, the girl caught the boy's arm. Oh, hear the ice, Hugh, she cried, for mysterious noises came up from the river and died away. Yes, it is the ice, dear, said the mother i like to hear it as she spoke she struck a match and lit two candles which stood on the table beside her for a few minutes as she stood her gaze wandered along the walls over the portraits of men and women once famous in colonial days the great china bowls set high for safety on top of the bookcases tankards and tall candelabra troubled her with memories of more prosperous times Whatever emotions these relics of departed pride and joy excited, they left neither on brow nor on cheek the unrelenting signals of life's disasters. A glance distinctly tender and distinctly proud made sweet her face for a moment as she turned to look upon the children. The little fellow on the cushion at her feet looked up. Mama, we do want to know why Christmas comes only once a year. Hush, dear. I cannot talk to you now not tonight not at all tonight but was not Christ always born he persisted yes yes she replied but I cannot talk to you now be quiet a little while I have something to do and so saying she drew to her side a basket of old letters the children remained silent or made little signs to one another as they watched the fire meanwhile the mother considered the papers Now with a gleam of anger in her eyes, as she read, and now with a momentary blur of tear-dimmed vision, most of the letters she threw at once on the fire. They writhed the moment like living creatures, and of a sudden blazed out as if tormented into sudden confession of the passions of years gone by. Then they fell away to black, unmemoried things, curling crumpled in the heat. The children saw them burn with simple interest in each new conflagration. Something in the mother's ways quieted them, and they became intuitively conscious of sadness in the hour and the task. At last the boy grew uneasy at the long repose of tongue. "'Oh, Alice, see the red sparks going about,' he said, looking at the wandering points of light in the blackening scrolls of shriveled paper. "'Nurse says those are people going to church.' "'said his sister authoritatively. "'Her mother looked up, smiling. "'Ah, that is what they used to tell me when I was little.' "'They're fireflies,' said the boy, "'like in a very dark night.' "'Now and then his r's troubled him a little, "'and conscious of his difficulty, "'he spoke at times with oddly serious deliberation. "'You really must be quiet,' said the mother. "'Now do keep still, or you will have to go to bed.' And so saying, she turned anew to the basket. Presently, the girl exclaimed, "'Why do you burn the letters?' She had some of her mother's persistency and was not readily controlled. This time, the mother made no reply. A sharp spasm of pain went over her features. Looking into the fire, as if altogether unconscious of the quick spies at her side, she said aloud, "'Oh, I can no more. Let them wait. What a fool I was. What a fool!' "'and abruptly pushed the basket aside. "'The little fellow leaped up and cast his arms about her "'while his long yellow hair fell on her neck and shoulder. "'Oh, Mama!' he cried. "'Don't read any more. "'Let me burn them. "'I hate them to hurt you.' "'She smiled on him through tears. "'Rare things for her. "'Everyone must bear his own troubles, Hugh. "'You couldn't help me. "'You couldn't know, dear, what to burn.' "'But I know,' said the girl decisively. "'I know.' i had a letter once but hugh never had a letter i wish kris kringle would take them away this very very night and lessons too i do what will he bring us for christmas mama i know what i want a kris kringle to take away troubles would suit me well alice i could hang up a big stocking and i know what i want said the boy nurse says chris has no money this christmas i don't care but the great blue eyes filled as he spoke the mother rose there will be no more presents this year hugh only only more love from me from one another and you must be brave and help me because you know this is not the worst of it we are to go away next week and must live in the town you see dears it can't be helped yes said hugh thoughtfully it can't be helped alice i don't want to go said the girl hush said hugh and i do want a doll I told you to be quiet alice returned the mother a rising note of anger in her voice in fact she was close upon a burst of tears but the emotions are all near of kin and linked in mystery of relationship pity and love for the moment became unreasoning wrath you are disobedient she continued oh mama we are very sorry said the lad who had been the less offending culprit "'Oh, well, well. No matter. It is bedtime, children. "'Now to bed, and no more nonsense. "'I can't have it. I can't bear it.' "'The children rose submissively, and kissing her, "'were just leaving the room when she said, "'Oh, but we must not lose our manners. You forget.' "'The girl, pausing near the doorway, dropped a curtsy. "'That wasn't very well done, Alice. "'Ah, that was better.' "'The little fellow made a bow.' Quite worthy of the days of minuet and hoop, and then running back, kissed the tall mother with a certain passionate tenderness, saying, softly, Now don't you cry when we are gone, dear, dear Mama, and then in a whisper, I will pray God not to let you cry, and so fled away, leaving her still perilously close to tears. Very soon, upstairs, the old nurse, troubled by the children's disappointment, was assuring them with eager mendacity that Chris would be certain to make his usual visit, while downstairs the mother walked slowly to and fro. She had that miserable gift, an unfailing memory of anniversaries, and now, despite herself, the long years rolled back upon her, so that under the sad power of their recurrent memories, she seemed a helpless prey. While the children were yet too young to recognize their loss, the great calamity of her life had come, Then, by degrees, the wreck of her fortune had gone to pieces, and now at last the home of her own people, deeply mortgaged, was about to pass from her forever. Much that was humbling had fallen to her in life, but nothing as sore as this final disaster. At length she rose, took a lighted candle from the table, and walked slowly around the great library room. The somber bindings of the books her childhood knew called back dim recollections the great china bowls the tall silver tankards the shining sconces and above all the stuart portraits of the Copleys of the men who shone in colonial days and helped to make a more than imperial nation each and all disturbed her as she gazed at last she returned to the fireside sat down and began anew her unfinished task with hasty hands she tumbled over the letters and at length came upon a package tied with a faded ribbon one of those thin, orange-colored silk bands with which cigars are tied in bundles. She threw it aside with a quick movement of disdain and opened the case of a miniature, slowly and with deliberate care. A letter fell onto her lap as she bent over the portrait of a young man. The day, the time, the need to dispose of accumulated letters had brought her to this, which she meant to be a final settlement of one of life's grim accounts for a while she steadily regarded the relics of happier hours then throwing herself back in her chair she cried aloud how long i hoped how hopeless was my hope and he said he said i was cruel and hard that i loved him no more oh that was a lie a bitter lie but a sot a sot and my children to grow up and see what i saw and learn to bear what i have borne. no no a thousand times no i chose between two duties and i was right i was the man of the two and i sent him away forever he said yes i was right but my god how cruel is life i would never have gone never never there she exclaimed and threw back the miniature into the basket closing it with violence as she did so as one may shut an unpleasant book read and done with for a moment and with firmer face she considered the letter reading scraps of it aloud as of testing her resolution to make an end of it all Hard was I, yes. Would I had been sooner hard? My children would have been better off. I went because you bid me. Yes, I did. Will he ever know what that cost me? I shall never come again until you bid me come. Not in this world, then, she cried. Oh, Hugh, Hugh. And in a passion of tears that told of a too great trial, still resolute despite her partial defeat, she tore the letter and cast it on the fire. There, she cried. Would to God I loved him less. And then, with strange firmness, she took up a book and sternly set herself to comprehend what she read. The hours went by, and at last she rose wearily, put out one candle, raked ashes over the embers, and, taking the other light, went slowly up to bed. She paused a moment at the nursery door, where she heard voices. "'What? Awake still? We was only talking about quiz,' said the small boy. "'We won't any more, will we, Alice?' She thinks he won't come, but I think he will come, because we are both so good all to-day. No, no, he will not come this Christmas, my darlings. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. And with too full a heart, she turned away. But the usual tranquil slumber of childhood was not theirs. The immense fact that they were soon to leave their home troubled the imaginative little man. Then, too, a great wind began to sweep over the hills and to shake the snow-laden pines. On its way, it carried anew from the ice of the river wild sounds of disturbance, and at last, in the mid-hours of night, an avalanche of snow slid from the roof. Hugh sat up. He realized well enough what had happened, but presently the quick ear of childhood was aware of other and less familiar sounds. Was it Chris Kringle? Oh, if he could only see him once! He touched the sister asleep in her bed nearby, and at last shook her gently. What is it, Hugh? she said. I hear Quiz. I know it is Quiz. Oh, Hugh, I hear too. But it might be a robber. No, never on Christmas Eve. It couldn't be a wobber. It is Quiss. I mean to go and see. I hear him outside. You know, Alice, there is never, never any wickedness on Christmas Eve. But if it is a robber, he might take you away. Oh, wobbers steal girls, but they never, never steal boys, and you needn't go but are you sure oh do listen she added both heard the creaking noise of footsteps in the dry snow i will look i must look cried hugh slipping from his bed in a moment he had raised the sash and was looking out into the night the sounds he had heard ceased he could see no one he has gone alice then he cried mr quisquingle are you there or is you a wobber As he spoke a cloaked man came from behind a great pine and stood amid the thickly fallen flakes why that is Hugh he said Hugh he does know my name whispered the lad to the small counselor now at his side and of course I am Kris Kringle and I have a bag full of presents but come softly down and let me in and don't make a noise or away I go and bring Alice The girl was still in doubt, but her desire for the promised gifts was strong, and in the very blood of the boy was the spirit of daring adventure. There was a moment of whispered indecision, resulting in two bits of conclusive wisdom. Said Alice, If we go together, Hugh, and he takes one, the other can squeal. Oh, very loud like a bear, a big bear! And, said Hugh, I will get my great-grandpapa's sword. And with this he got upon a chair and by the failing light of the nursery fire carefully took down from over the chimney the dress rapier which had figured at peaceful levees of other days now he said if you are afraid i will go all alone myself i am dreadfully afraid said she but i will go too so she hastily slipped on a little white wrapper and he his well-worn brown velvet knickerbocker trousers Neither had never known a being they had reason to fear, and so, with beating hearts, but brave enough, they stole quietly out in their sweet innocence, and hand in hand went down the dark staircase, still hearing faint noises as they felt their way. They crossed the great warm library and entered the hall, where, with much effort, they unlocked the door and lifted the old fashioned bar which guarded it. The cold air swept in, and before them was a tall man in a cloak half-white with snow. He said at once, Oh, Hugh, Alice, pleasant Christmas to you. Let us get in out of the cold, but carefully, carefully, no sound. And as he spoke, he shut the door behind him. Come, he said, and seeming to know the way, went before them into the library. Oh, I'm so frightened, said Alice to Hugh in a whisper. I wish I was in bed. Not so the boy, the man pushed away the ashes from the smoldering logs and took from the wood basket a quantity of birch bark and great cones of the pine. As he cast them on the quick embers, a fierce blaze went up, and the room was all alight. And now he turned quickly, for Hugh, of a mind to settle the matter, was standing on guard between him and the door to the stairway, which they had left open when they came down. The man smiled as he saw the lad push his sister back and come a step or two forward. He made a pretty picture in his white shirt, brown knee breeches, and little bare legs. The yellow locks about his shoulders, the rapier in his hand, alert and quite fearless. My sister thinks perhaps you are a wobber, sir, but I think you are Mr. Chris Kringle. Yes, I am Chris Kringle tonight, and you see, I know your names. Alice Hugh. His cloak fell from him, and he stood smiling, a handsome Chris. Do not be afraid. Be sure I love little children. Come, let us talk a bit. It's all white, Alice, said the boy. I said he wasn't a wobber. And they went hand in hand toward the fire, now a brilliant blaze. The man leaned heavily upon a chair back, his lips moving, a great stir of emotion shaking him as he gazed on the little ones. But he said again, quickly, Yes, yes, I am Chris Kringle. And then, with much amusement, and what do you mean to do with your sword, my little man? It was to kill the Wobber, sir, but you mustn't be afraid, because you are not a Wobber. And he really won't hurt you, added Alice. Good gracious, exclaimed Chris, smiling. You're a gallant little gentleman, and you have been. Are you always a good boy to your mother? I has been a very good boy. Then his conscience entered a protest, and he added, For two whole days. I'll go and ask Mama to come and tell you. No, no, said Chris. It is only children can see me. Old folks couldn't see me. My mother is very young. Oh, but not a child, not like you. Please, sir, do let us see the presents, said Alice, much at her ease. For now he pushed a great chair to the fire and seated them both in it, saying, Oh, the poor little cold toes. Then he carefully closed the door they had left open and said, smiling as he sat down opposite them, I have come far, very far, to see you. Has you come far tonight? said the little host with rising courage. No, not far tonight. Then he paused. Is is your mother well? Yes, said Hugh. She is very well, and we are much obliged. "'May we soon see the presents?' said Alice. "'They did say you would not come tonight because we are poor now.' "'And,' added Hugh, "'my pony is sold to a man, and his tail is very long, "'and he loves sugar. Uh, "'The pony, I mean, and Mama says we must go away and live in the town.' "'Yes, yes,' said Chris. I, "'I know.' "'He knows,' said Hugh. "'Oh, they know everything in Fairyland,' said Alice.' Was you ever in fairyland, sir? asked Hugh. Yes. Whereabouts is it, sir? And, please, how is it bounded on the north? And what are the principal rivers? We might look for it on the map. It is in the Black Hills. Oh, the Black Hills, said Alice. I know. Yes, but you're not sleepy? Not a bit sleepy? No, no. Then, before the pretty things hop out of my bag, let me tell you a story. "'and he smiled at his desire to lengthen a delicious hour. "'I would like that, and I hope it won't be very, very long,' "'said Alice, on more sordid things intent. "'That's the way with girls, Mr. Quingle. "'They can't wait. "'Oh, well, well. "'Once on a time, there was a bad boy, and he was very naughty, "'and no one loved him because he spent love like money till it was all gone.' When he found he had no more love given him, he went away, and away to a far country. Like the man in the Bible, said Hugh promptly. The, uh, the, what's his name, Alice? The prodigal son, said Chris. You mean, yes, sir, the prodigal son. Yes, like the prodigal son. Well, at last he came to the Black Hills, and there he lived with other rough men. "'But you did say he was a boy,' said Alice, accurately critical. "'He was woed up, Alice. Don't you int, inter—inter—interrupt, you goosey,' said Alice. "'One Christmas Eve, these men fell to talking of their homes "'and made up their minds to have a good dinner. "'But Hugh—' "'Oh!' exclaimed the lad. "'Hugh!' Mr. Chris nodded and continued. "'But Hugh felt very weak because he was just getting well of a fever,' yet they persuaded him to come to table with the rest. One man, a German, stood up and said, This is the eve of Christmas. I will say our grace what we say at home. One man laughed, but the others were still. Then the German said, Come, Lord Christ, and be our guest. Take with us what thou hast blessed. When Hugh heard the words the German said, he began to think of home and of many Christmas eves, and because he felt a strangeness in his head, he said, I am not well. I will go into the air. As he moved, he saw before him a man in the doorway. The face of the man was sad, and his garment was white as snow. He said, Follow me. But no others except Hugh saw or heard. Now, when Hugh went outside, the man he had seen was gone. But being still confused, Hugh went over the hard snow and among trees, not knowing what he did. And at last, after wandering a long time, he came to a steep hillside. Here he slipped, and rolling down, fell over a high place. Down, 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 he fell, and he fell. Oh, make him stop, cried little Hugh. He fell on a deep bed of soft snow and was not hurt, but soon got up and thought he was buried in a white tomb. But soon he understood, and his head grew clearer, and he beat the snow away and got out. Then first he said a prayer, and that was the only prayer he had said in a long time. Oh, my, cried little Hugh. I did think people could never sleep unless they say their prayers. That's what nurse says. Doesn't she, Alice? And just here, Chris had to wipe his eyes. But he took the little fellow's hand in his and went on. Soon he found shelter under a cliff where no snow was. And with his flint and steel struck a light and made with sticks and logs a big fire. After this, he felt warm and better all over and fell asleep. When he woke up, it was early morning. And looking about, he saw in the rock little yellow streaks and small lumps. And then he knew he had found a great mine of gold no man had ever seen before. By and by, he got out of the valley and found his companions, and in the spring he went to his mine, which, because he had found it, was all his own. And he got people to work there and dig out the gold. After that, he was no longer poor, but very, very rich. And he was good then? said Hugh. And did he go home, said Alice, and buy things? Yes, he went. One day he went home, and at night saw his house and little children. And, but he will not stay, because there is no love waiting in his house, and all the money in the world is no good unless there is some love too. You see, dear, a house is just a house of brick and mortar. But when it is full of love, then it is a home. I like that man, said Hugh. Tell me more. But first, said Alice, oh, we do want to see all our presents. Oh, well, that is all, I think. And the presents. Now for the presents. Then he opened a bag and took out first a string of great pearls and said, as he hung them around Alice's neck, there, these, the oysters made for you years ago under the deep blue sea. They are for a wedding gift from Chris. They are too fine for a little maid. No queen has prettier pearls. But when you are married and someone you love vexes you or is unkind, look at these pearls and forgive, oh, a hundred times over, thrice, twice, thrice, for every pearl, because Chris said it. You won't understand now, but someday you will. Yes, sir, said Alice, puzzled and playing with the pearls, said Hugh. You said, Mr. Quis, that the oysters make pearls. Why do oysters make pearls? I will tell you, replied Chris. If a bit of something rough or sharp gets inside the oyster's house, and it can't be got rid of, the oyster begins to make a pearl of it, and covers it over and over until the rough root thing is one of these beautiful pearls. I see, said Hugh. That is a little fairy tale I made for myself. I often make stories for myself. That must be very nice, Mr. Quis. How nice it must be for your little children every night when you tell them stories. Yes, yes and here Chris had to wipe his eyes with his handkerchief. Isn't that a doll? said Alice, looking at the bag. Yes, a doll from Japan. Oh! exclaimed Alice. And boxes of sugar plums for Christmas, he added. And Hugh, here are skates for you and this bundle of books. "Oh, Thank you, sir. And these? And these for my... uh, for Alice. And Chris drew forth... "'a half-dozen delicate eastern scarves "'and cast them, laughing around the girl's neck "'as she stood delighted. "'And now I want to trust you. "'This is for for your mother. "'Only an envelope from Chris to her. "'Inside is a fairy paper, "'and whenever she pleases, it will turn to gold. "'Oh, much gold. "'And she will be able, then, to keep her old home, "'and you never need go away. "'And the pony will stay. "'Oh, that will be nice. "'We do. Thank you, sir. "'Don't we, Alice?' Yes, but now I must go. Kiss me. You will kiss me? He seemed to doubt it. Oh, yes, they cried and cast their little arms about him while he held them in a long embrace, loath to let them go. Oh, Alice, said Hugh. Mr. Quiss is crying. What's the matter, Mr. Quiss? Nothing, he said. Once I had two little children, and you see, you look like them, and I have not seen them this long while. "'Alice silently reflected on the amount of presents "'which Chris's children must have, "'but Hugh said, "'We are both very sorry for you, Mr. Quiss.' "'Thank you,' he returned. "'I shall remember that, and now be still a little. "'I must write to your mother, "'and you must give her my letter after she has my present.' "'Yes,' said Alice, "'we will.' "'Then Chris lit a candle and took paper and pen from the table, "'and as they sat quietly waiting,' Full of the marvel of this famous adventure, he wrote busily, now and then pausing to smile on them, until he closed and gave the letter to the boy. Be careful of these things, he said, for now I must go. And will you never, never come back? My God, cried the man, never, perhaps never. Don't forget me, Alice, Hugh, and this time he kissed them again and went by and opened the door to the stairway. We thank you ever so much, said Hugh, and standing aside, he waited for Alice to pass, having in his childlike ways something of the grave courtesy of his ancestors, who looked down on him from the walls. Alice curtsied and the small cavalier, still with the old rapier in hand, bowed low. Chris stood at the door and listened to the patter of little feet upon the stair. Then he closed it with noiseless care. In a few minutes he had put out the candles resumed his cloak and left the house the snow no longer fell the waning night was clearer and to eastward a faint rosy gleam foretold the coming of the sun of christmas chris glanced up at the long windowed house and turning went slowly down the garden path long before the usual hour of rising the children burst into the mother's room "you monkeys" she cried smiling "merry christmas to you" What What is the matter? Oh, he was here, he did come, cried Alice. Quis was here, said Hugh. I did hear him in the night, and I told Alice it was Quis, and she said it was a wabber, and I said it wasn't a wabber, and we went to see, and it was a man, it was Quiss, it was Quis. He did say so. What? A-, a man at night in the house? Are you crazy, children? And Hugh took Grandpapa's sword, and... "'Great grandpapas,' said Hugh, with strict accuracy. "'You brave boy!' cried the woman proudly, "'and he stole nothing, and oh, what a silly tale!' "'But it was Quiz, Mama. He did give us things. "'I do tell you it was Quiss Quingle.' "'Oh, he gave us things for you, and for me, and for Hugh, "'and he gave me this,' cried Alice, who had kept her hand behind her, "'and now threw the royal pearls on the bed amid a glory of eastern scarves. "'Are we all bewitched?' cried the mother.' Oh, and the skates and sugar plums and books and a doll. And this for you. Oh, Quist didn't forget nobody, Mama. The mother seized and hastily opened the blank envelope which the boy gave her. What? What? She cried as she stared at the enclosure. Is this a jest? Union Trust Company, New York. Madam, we have the honor to hold at your disposal the following registered United States bonds in all amounting to... The sum was a great fortune. The trust company was known to her, even its president's signature. What's the matter, Mama? cried Alice, amazed at the unusual look the calm mother's face wore as she arose from the bed, while the great pearls tumbled over and lay on the sunlit floor, and the fairy letter fell unheeded. Her thoughts were away in the desert of her past life. And here I forgot, said Hugh. Mr. Quist did write you a letter. Quick, she cried, give it to me she opened it with fierce eagerness then she said go away leave me alone yes yes I, I will talk to you by and by go now and she drove the astonished children from the room and sat down with her letter dear alice shall i say wife i promised to come no more until you asked me to come i can stand it no longer i came only meaning to see the dear home and to send you and my dear children of remembrance but i uh, you know the rest If in those dark days the mother care and fear instinctively set aside what little love was left for me, I do not now wonder. Was it well or ill what you did when you bid me go? In God's time I have learned to think it well. That hour is now to me like a blurred dream. Today I can bless the anger and the sense of duty to our children which drove me forth, too debased a thing to realize my loss. I have won again my self-control, thank God. Am a man once more. You have, have always had, my love. You have today again a dozen times the fortune I meanly squandered. I shall never touch it. It is yours and your children's. And now, Alice, is all love dead for me? And is it yes or no? And shall I be always to my little one's Chris? And tonight a mysterious memory? Or shall I be once more your Hugh? A letter to the bank will find me. As she read, the quick tears came flood. She turned to her desk and wrote in tremulous haste, Come, come at once! And ringing for the maid, sent it off to the address he gave. The next morning she dressed with unusual care. At the sound of the whistle of the train, she went down to the door. Presently, a strong, erect, eager man came swiftly up the pathway. She was in his arms a minute after, little Hugh exclaiming, Oh, Alice, Mr. Quiss is kissing Mama. The end. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's story. I really liked it. It was really well written. I love the opening descriptions of the snowy world that we find ourselves in. And just the slow revelation of the story of this family and how they are having to leave their home that has been the mom's home for for, for years and years. And it's been in her family for years. And now because of poverty, they're going to have to sell everything and move. And then we, we find out it was her husband who spent all of her money ran off and in the end he finds gold he learns his lesson he comes back he gives it all to her and says i will only come back if you want me i think she also understood what he said that a house without love is not a home you know you might think that this guy doesn't deserve that second chance but isn't that what all the great christmas stories are about you might say Ebenezer Scrooge didn't deserve his second chance, or how come he got it instead of Jacob Marley, especially because it seems that Scrooge is worse than Marley. Well, that's the joy of Christmas. It's a chance of redemption, a chance for families to be reunited, a chance to make amends for old mistakes. And that, my friends, is what Christmas is all about. All right, that's all I have for today. Until next time, uh, I want to thank you for listening. I'd encourage you to share this online, subscribe, and leave us a rating as these things really do help the podcast grow. If you'd like to help support us in a financial way, there are links in the show notes. And for any level of support, I will be happy to send you a Christmas card and a bookmark or sticker as my way of saying thank you. Just send me your address and I'll get that out to you. And so until next time, let us remember to honor Christmas in our heart and try to keep it all the year. Have a very Merry Christmas.